Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Final hour of the Tuesday edition, Outkick 360. Glad you're with us. Hutton Withrow with you. Sixth and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Chad, uh, Nathaniel Hackett among the, the coaches out, one and done. And what a tenure it was. It, 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 it was. With him. You know, and he got the gig after a, a great job. Well, he was the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville whenever they went to the AFC Championship game. And then, of course, he was with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Matt LaFleur says he's open to Hackett rejoining his staff. And that's where, I mean, Hackett's a good coach. Not a good head coach, but a good uh, assistant coach. And I, I think that's a good landing spot, all things considered. And the question would now be, okay, now what with Aaron Rodgers? And Aaron Rodgers was not on with Pat McAfee today. McAfee said they're rescheduling because he's in meetings both today and tomorrow with Green Bay. So they're including Aaron Rodgers in the, the future planning, and he's got to make his determination on what he's going to do with his future, both in Green Bay and uh, in the league. I, for one, cannot wait until we get another piece about Nathaniel Hackett and Aaron Rodgers playing ping pong together yeah. and how that's going to magically – uh, bring back Aaron Rodgers to MVP form. I, I don't see it. I mean, maybe there's something there. Certainly the results are what they were with Hackett and Aaron Rodgers. I obviously believe it has a lot more to do with Aaron Rodgers and not as much to do with Nathaniel Hackett. But, I mean, if you're Matt LaFleur, I, I think you definitely look into it. Here's the other thing about Matt LaFleur. They have another season next year like they did this year. I don't know that he's going to be the coach sure. in Green Bay. Uh, he is very much on the hot seat moving into next year, especially if Rodgers isn't a part of it and they take a step down with Love, let's say, at quarterback. Then they're going to decide, we got to go in a different direction. So LaFleur not on stable footing right now. Rodgers, future unknown with him. He just took a big step back from a play standpoint this year. So, yeah, why not bring in Nathaniel Hackett? I'm sure that'll fix everything. Yeah, I mean, I, it's... Something LaFleur pointed to play calling as, you know, he mentioned that in the past off season, whenever they were inconsistent, he's pointing to play calling and what's, you know, the, the structure of the offense. But ultimately, it's, it's Rodgers, you know, who's making the calls at the line of scrimmage and doing things within LaFleur's system. And it meshed well a year ago, number one seed, that didn't mesh well here. They, they were the uh, top scoring offense, second only, what, to Dallas, I believe, a year ago? Really struggled, but they found a run game. Got a two-headed monster in uh, Dylan and Jones. And when you trade away Devontae Adams, you got problems. The four highest-paid quarterbacks this past season, not in the postseason. Well, look at the two notable teams that traded away their best receiver and two of the best receivers in the game, Packers-Titans. Yeah, the caveat is Kansas City. True. 
Um, that's a good point. Patrick although, Mahomes although just passed argue, for 5,000 yards for the second time in his career. Yeah, well, and that, that's the difference is the quarterback and there. 40 touchdowns. Um, but I would say that Travis Kelsey, you could make the argument as to who's the most reliable passing target. He's not a wide receiver, I understand. Tyreek Hill was certainly their best wide receiver, but the other two teams, the drop-off the drop off from Tyreek Hill to Travis Kelsey isn't as severe as the drop-off from Devontae Adams to next best in Green Bay and A.J. Brown to next best yeah, in Tennessee. I mean, but Kelsey's putting up tight end numbers, not wide receiver numbers. Yeah. He's leading the league there, you know, and he's top 10 in receiving. But you then you have otherworldly numbers from both dudes in Miami. But Hill is was incredible this year. Uh, both guys deserve mention yeah. for Offensive Player of the Year, though. Um, and then I think Mahomes is going to be the MVP. Uh, so, you know, the, the other quarterbacks, though, top four paid – um, of course, Rodgers, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, and Deshaun Watson for the 2022-23 season. Deshaun Watson in Cleveland, it's got to get a lot better than the little glimpse we saw at the end of, of this season. If you're a Browns fan, you better hope that that's just a lot of rust yeah. that you witnessed with him, and now that he's played a little bit, knocked that rust off, he's going to have a complete offseason to prepare and practice to be the, the guy in Cleveland that it looks a lot better. Uh, you mentioned Kevin Stefanski as a possible name to watch to be fired in Cleveland. Instead, they end up firing their coordinator, defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. and Stefanski's still there. That's that's one that's got to pick up next year for the Browns. Agreed. I say that, but what's their what's their recourse with this the this contract that he has? Nothing. I mean, they've got to make they've got it's to just got to it work. work. It's yeah. just got to work. Yep. Um, it's a little bit similar to Russell Wilson, honestly, and everything they gave yeah. up in Denver for him. They Kyler just got to find a way to Kyler make it Murray work. Kyler Murray, too. That they, they've admitted in Arizona they're going to include Kyler Murray in the coaching search. Uh, biggest uh, playoff droughts that continue. The Jets were on pace to end the longest current playoff drought that is now at 12 seasons. And then Zach Wilson had to come back into the, into the picture due to Mike White's injury. Denver trying to end their playoff drought of seven seasons. It doesn't feel that long to me. It's crazy. Denver. It feels like yesterday Peyton Manning yeah. was riding off into the sunset with the Super Bowl. Detroit was right there. Right there. And they lost some, as good as their offense was, their defense early on, not good. And at the end of the year, they lost in a couple of shootouts. But they beat Green Bay. They keep them out. But the playoff drought continues for Detroit. They're the closest of this pack to me. Carolina and Atlanta are in a bad division. And which one can improve the most this offseason, given the fact that Carolina is going to have an opportunity to pair a new head coach with a quarterback of their choosing. Atlanta, they've been rebuilding through the cap and now have the best cap structure that they've had since Arthur Smith arrived there. Five seasons each for Atlanta and Carolina. I, I think of that group. Detroit has the best opportunity, just as I see it right now and how they're built and structured. And given the fact that the offense is just rolling along, they, they need some help defensively. They've got some help coming with and in, uh, Hutchinson going into year number two, and he was great in his rookie season, but that was pretty much it. Of they those need, teams. They need more. I don't think there's any doubt Detroit's in the best spot right now, roster standpoint, play-wise, play the way they yeah. finished the season, their record this year. I also think that um, 
they're in the strangest spot from a – I don't know about that. Carolina, you clearly know what they need to do. they got to go get draft a quarterback. They're the team I'm circling as a possible mover up into that number one spot with a trade to go after Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. What is Detroit going to do ultimately at quarterback? Jared Goff had a great year. Yeah. He does a good job leading that offense. But have you seen enough with Jared Goff to think that this is the answer yes. at quarterback For them with now, Detroit? Yes, yes. They, they can end their playoff drought with him, no, no question. They, they need big help on defense. Their offense is not of, of, of any issue here. And keep in mind, last year... Isn't it crazy, though, that... that He just had his best statistical season. Goff yeah, but did. Jared Goff was an afterthought in the Matthew Stafford deal. Yeah. That it was he, just, oh, they're, they're getting rid of a guy who can't win big. Yeah. And now he's going to go be a pedestrian quarterback for the Lions who never win. And now suddenly we're talking about Jared Goff as the franchise quarterback for the Detroit Lions a team that's on the move and that's that's moving up in the NFL. It's just crazy to think about that based on when those two guys were traded. Yeah. No, it worked out for L.A. Well, too. But, but also, like, uh, we're a year removed from Dan Campbell calling him out, saying, hey, I want more leadership from our quarterback. We've got to have that. And then not only did they have that this year, he's not turning the football over this year. His touchdown-interception ratio was really, really good. And... You know, they win healthy in the backfield, great options, and they have one of the top offensive lines in football. You know, that's where their investment around golf has been. Yeah, so he's, I, I like the, where, the way they're structured. They just need a couple more pieces defensively, and they need those guys to hit one or two, just the same way Hutchinson did. That guy's a beast. He is, and um, they've got some great young options at wide receiver. I, I love I love the Lions. We, we came into this season, the preseason, I remember talking about how they didn't quit at the end of last season under Dan Campbell with a terrible record. And yeah. on the final day of the regular season this year, they have their playoff hopes dashed, and they still don't quit. And they go out, and I think it's a pretty shocking outcome uh, with everything the Packers had to play for, that they went in there as a touchdown underdog and found a way to I, win. Uh, I, I didn't see the entire presser postgame. I saw clips. Did Dan Campbell cry? I would have set the over under it, you know, minus nine thousand. Yes, Jamal Williams cried. I saw his on the field post game interview. He's a very emotional guy. He went through a range of Hollywood yeah, type yeah, emotions oh, yeah, during that uh, during that interview. Uh, Campbell, I, don't, I thought I'm I thought sure Aaron Rodgers almost cried. He got slightly choked up well, talking was, about everything yeah, after the game, and he was walking off with uh, with Randall Cobb and was not happy with the cameraman who got in front of him. He said, "Get behind me." At least I think that's what he said to him. McAfee will find out. <laughs> and he, he was walking off with the, the guy, one of his best friends in football. Speaking of saying a lot, uh, the pregame pep talk from Kirby Smart was leaked oh. last night. That'll get your blood going when you I mean, hear I, that. I, I mean, it's a lot. We could never play it on I this feel like because we've heard, there's a lot of expletives. I feel like he gets his leaked quite a bit. Haven't we heard these before yeah, from him? Yeah, there's been a halftime speech that's been leaked. <laughs> um, yeah. I, there's something uh, Dylan Taylor uh, one of the OutKick producers was showing me earlier, there was something during a practice or a workout where they're in the indoor facility and he's on video. Uh, and it's a very similar speech that he's giving. It's a Wolf of Wall Street speech. Yeah, I mean, it's look, I, you could apply that to anything in life, the, his speech that he's giving. It's not very specific about a game plan against TCU. It's just <laughs> a, we're better. We're not scared. We're not going to play scared. We got nothing to be scared about. And we're about to go bleep them up in this game. 
Very simple. You tackle the guy with the ball, you knock them down, and you stay on your feet the entire game. That's the approach. And he says it's simple. And what's crazy about what he's saying is it is simple for Georgia. Get better players. Get those players to play exceptionally hard and fast, to understand what they're doing, and you're going to win pretty much every time out when that happens. Kirby Smart's done an incredible job of getting guys to buy in, not having a lot of personality issues in the locker room, and guys that are out there are playing as hard as anyone in college football, and it shows. I've got some safe-for-work audio and video from Kirby Smart that's coming up uh, in a few minutes. Um, and just the overall philosophy and the makeup of how simple it sounds, but how few can pull off what he's done in the short amount of time at Georgia. J.J. Watt, Pro Football Hall of Fame career. Um, Darren Ravel, uh, less than a Hall of Fame moment, se- stepping in front of uh, the um, special needs Children, is Look, this, we don't go out of you guys, our way to come on this show what were you guys and just, talking about? just ridicule Darren Ravel at any time. <laughs> Darren Ravel makes it so easy to ridicule him. Yes. Uh, just the, the, with everything that he does. There's a video of Darren Ravel rushing out in oh, front of J.J. Uh, Watt to give him an emotional hug in his final game. And he's keeping a group of children that he's scheduled to meet with waiting yeah. as Darren Ravel runs out in front of him. <laughs> okay, well. J.J. Uh, Watt with a dominant final home game against Tampa. They didn't win that game. But the, uh, the Hard Knocks episode of that week, the in-season one with the Cardinals, I saw a clip where it was just chronicling everything of that week where he didn't tell anyone he was doing it. He was gonna, that was his final home game. He just tweeted it out on Christmas night. But... The, the, the week leading up to that game and the conversations he was having, you can tell, like, he knew he was done. He knew it was coming to a close. And none of his teammates actually knew at the time why they were having the conversation while waiting on practice to begin or resume or whatever. Where he's like, hey, I, you know, hey, man, why'd you get in the game? He's asking one of the young players, why'd you start playing football? Quick little answer. And then without even being asked, they're just staring off into, you know, whatever. Watching special teams, probably. And he's like, yeah, I, I, I wanted to be the high school quarterback, but I wasn't cool enough. So my goal was to always be the, the version of that dude that everyone looked up to in my high school. And then I became a star at the high school. I didn't play quarterback, star at the high school. Then everyone wanted to be a Badger where I grew up. So I wanted to go play for the Badgers. And then, you know, so on. And now he, he's sitting there going, and now it's been you know a career where I look back and it's been unbelievable. Then one of the uh, <clears throat> one of the defensive coordinators or, or uh, assistant coaches on defense was asking him how many sacks you have. I don't think this guy knew that yeah. Watt was hanging it up. And he goes uh, 100, 111. Starts going through all the favorite sacks. It was a cool episode for a, a season that was a disaster in Arizona. And then. To have it all chronicled in the post game where they lose that game because Brady had the final comeback down 10 in the fourth, and then to not be able to get the stop where they set up the field goal for the win, you see him taking a knee in the locker room and having a moment to himself. It was, uh, it was cool, but also sad. And he still had two games left, but he was crushing it that night. You said 111 sacks probably was right on at that time. He finishes with 114.5 in his career, and he had two in his final game. It's crazy to think I'm 40 years old, and I feel like J.J. Watt 
has been a force in the NFL my entire adult life in his 12 years. Just that time that spans from 2011 to now. Yeah. I feel like he's just always been a presence. I mean, when you hear, because we, we don't talk a lot about J.J. Watt since he went to Arizona because they haven't been that good. Right, he's not been the right. same player, but he's still been productive. Yeah, he, he's not been he the, de- the defensive player of the year the way right. he was in Houston. Um, he's certainly a Hall of Fame player and a first ballot Hall of Famer. But I just think about his career, and I think he was just so omnipresent in the league for so. You say the name J.J. Watt, it feels like he played for twenty years in those twelve years. That's a great compliment to him as a force in the National Football League. And. I mean, his, the TJ is on the same path. Absolutely. And, and, and the, the paid, he's either the highest paid defensive player or he's second now to Donald after Donald's boost uh, last offseason. Um, and it's about to be Nick Bosa. But, the, oh, by the way, the, the episode there starts because it's Brady week. And the episode starts with the, the do's and don'ts when trying to defend Tom Brady. And the most attentive dude in the room is J.J. Watt. Think about that. Yeah. And you know, it's just like you don't you want you want to force him to run. He doesn't want to run, and he's going to take the quick pass, less than two seconds. You got to do this, 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 and then it leads to mic'd up, and he's he's uh, back and forth with Brady the entire game. Love it. Quarterback I mean, sneak, your favorite play was a great mic'd up moment too. The quarterback sneak, the most underutilized and, play and in all of football. The best at it. I do like how the quarterback sneak though has now progressed to a quarterback gets shoved from behind by the fullback. Or you send the tight end in motion, and they just hover right I mean, behind the quarterback, and when the ball snaps, they're going to shove them forward. They don't even practice it, really. Because most of the time on third down and short, these guys are in shotgun. The coordinators are putting You're, these guys six yards in the backfield. But I do think that when it gets to yard, yard and a half closer, we're seeing – I'd like to go through and see the stats on it. We're seeing more of these quarterback sneaks because – coaches and it looks like a play they don't even practice because right. really only they, three they, people are moving they really don't it doesn't take a lot of effort from the tackle yeah it's the center two guards and a fullback or an h-back tight end that comes in motion behind them and then rams the quarterback into the first down marker that's essentially the play and it really doesn't take much I, practice to pull off i can't recall seeing a quarterback practice a sneak at, when i've seen the practices well you person. also don't want to want them to get hurt yeah, that's a big part of it, right? You just hope they know what to do when it's time to call it. Just hold on for dear life but, and but Brady, stay on your feet as you get shoved for the first down. Brady going through all the offensive linemen on the interior this year in Tampa, he was practicing it. Yeah, because he's the best at it. Meanwhile, that's, you got tiny Kyler Murray. Who has he ever been under center for a quarterback? That's a great. Has he? Does he go under center for anything? All right. Like, <laughs> I just the whole now that the Cliff Kingsbury era is over in Arizona. I'm just very underwhelmed with them offensively. I mean, it wasn't all bad with him. I, I understand the first that, eight, but seven or eight games. I was last expecting year a lot more. Yeah, me too. Now the 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 talk there is that Click Kingsbury had he he'd reserved himself to just being out. They shared the same agent, and whatever was going on behind the scenes. I remember this past preseason. I I, I, did, I it was a weird vibe. Like I, I was almost out of spite. He was having Kyler call plays. In the preseason, remember this, and uh, like with the headset on, yeah, and you know now it's like it's not so easy, is it, big boy? Yeah, type deal. Yeah, and he was at the end of the season, according to uh, reports in you know Pro Football Talk and others, he was just kind of yeah, yeah, I'm out of here. It's not going to work out. 
Now all of the scuttlebutt is that he is going to be Nick Saban's next offensive coordinator. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> the, the Saban rehabilitation so where program. So does Bill O'Brien go? Again. Right now he's not going anywhere. I mean, he's still Alabama's offensive coordinator until he gets they, uh, the well, offer that he wants to leave for. I mean, you they've been talking there uh, behind the scenes about wanting Bill O'Brien to get back to the league as soon as possible. That's another guy on this list, though, that I look at and I see his resume and I think, I'd hire him. If he's well, not the general manager and he's just paid to coach, yeah, I that's mean, a guy I'd bring back. I would hire Bill O'Brien to coach in the NFL again before I would college. Well, and that's the talk today in New England. They have to get an offensive coordinator by title there. And that would make a lot of sense with the Alabama guy from the last couple of seasons pairing up with Mac Jones and back with Bill Belichick, to me. It also makes sense if you want to pair here in Nashville with Vrabel with their ties in Houston. Yeah. And keep in mind with this too, Bill O'Brien had GM power when Vrabel was working for him in Houston. He was making those trades, making those moves. If he comes to Nashville as the offensive coordinator, he's not going to have GM power. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. That job will be Mike Vrabel's. Probably Mike Vrabel's alone. I really believe Mike Vrabel will have the veto power. It's going to be a collaboration, but yeah. I think Ty goes to Vrabel with whoever the general manager hire is. No tie last night in the national championship. We uh, give our thoughts on this absolute... It, it was more than a beatdown. This was a uh, chalk outline first quarter. It was, you know, we all love Cinderella and the Cinderella story until Cinderella gets murdered by a monster yeah. at the end of the story, if the that's the way the fairy tale ended. Over, yeah. That's what happened last night. Georgia being the monster... TCU being Cinderella. But we still had the two competitive semifinal matchups, and we'll discuss what we'll remember about this college football playoff. Plus, we'll hear from Kirby Smart on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Total Domination. By Georgia last night over TCU. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. Hun, have you ever had a shirt that makes you colder when you wear the shirt than as opposed to you being shirtless? I feel like when I wear this no. shirt, it somehow traps coolness on the shirt, and it makes me freezing cold. Clothes are supposed to be protection so from the outside world. I wear this shirt, and no, I, I swear to you, if I took this shirt off and went shirtless the rest of the show, You'd be I would be warmer than wearing this shirt. This shirt somehow, while beautiful, this shirt traps the cold air. <laughs> like I get freezing cold wearing this shirt, and there's no other shirt has that combination. The it's only, incredible. The only shirt to me that makes it colder is whatever that material is that you have to wear at the hospital for any type of surgery or procedure. Oh, yeah. The scrub-like material. Then th that is Very to me thin. bone chilling cold. Yeah, that and you're putting you know bare feet at times on that hospital floor. 
Just picking up everything. This brings up another it. great one. Uh, grocery feet. Another popular grocery, one of Chad. Grocery feet is the <laughs> the kid that's in the grocery store. Usually, you know, uh, where I come from, some form of redneck that's in a grocery store that's allowed to run barefoot through the store. And the yeah. stores that I grew up going to had a very grimy, hard surface. And you could pick those kids up by their ankles and look at their feet, and you'd see brown bottoms of the feet. We'd call that grocery feet. <laughs> and if you had grocery feet, you knew. You are going to have to scrub them at night. It's a common occurrence in the South. Undo, yeah, no doubt. Now, I can wear this and in the summer, too, and feel great. Right? I, the, I would the say fl- in the North the, as well. Uh, the, the reverse is true. If, it's, if I get a little breeze in the summer and it's hot outside, <laughs> I stay cool in this shirt because it traps cool air into it. The undefeated national champs in the BCS and college football playoff era. Alabama's done it twice. Um, you, you see some familiar faces and names. Florida State's done it twice. And Georgia, they are a game away from doing it too. They, I mean, since that 2020 season where it was, you know, riddled with all the, the COVID mandates and vaccinations and trying to play the, the season and all that, they've lost one game since then. It's Nuts. crazy. It's crazy to think about their level of dominance. And I, I think back to... The late 90s, it's going back to 1990. There were going into last night, there were three teams that had repeated. Um, Nebraska won three of four when you count the split title in 97. Yes. So it was those three. Then you had um, Alabama did it in 2011, 2012. And then you had Georgia the past two years. There was also USC. I was having to, because I saw this stat last time, thinking, who was the other one? USC had a split title in 2003. It's weird to think about there still being a split title back in 2003, but that was the case. They split it with LSU. There was a BCS champion, and there was, in 2003, an AP champion, Mm. apparently. There were two different teams, and then they blew out Oklahoma in 2004 to win it, and then 2005... They were going for their version of a three-peat when they lost to Vince Young in Texas in 05. But where does Georgia rank now among those? I, I, I think it's just it's not just the two in a row. It's propelling into the future. This is so sustainable for them that they lost 15 draft picks and it didn't matter. They were arguably better this year well, than, what they than did, the year before. Yeah, um, Not as dominant on defense, but no, better. But much better, better on offense. Yes. Stetson so, Bennett was, was much better. So get this. So here is a post game last night. Kirby Smart. And in preparation for TCU, by the way, if you, if you want to hear Kirby Smart referencing the preparation for TCU, that audio from pregame is available. We just can't play it because if we did, we wouldn't be able to air it. And it would just be one long beep. It would be like the beep in Chad's home or what it used to be before the batteries uh, yeah, expired I mean, in your kid's toy. It belongs in, uh, in a Scorsese film yep. and not yep. on this show. But here is post-game, Kirby Smart discussing how even the scout team for Georgia would have won that game last night. Because our defensive scout team did the most unbelievable job. When we got TCU, I called them all in. 
had the coaches meet with them. We made them meet and become this defense, and we said we're going to do it better than they do it. You're going to watch tape. You're going to sit in here. You're going to learn how to do it. We had a guy, C.J. Allen, who was number six. He did it as good as they did it. We had Collins, be 57. He did it as good as they did it. We had guys be their guys and do their defense exactly right. And to the last day we were walking through in there, they were giving an unbelievable look. That set our offense up for success. Scout team makes a difference. And we had a hell of a scout team to give these guys a look. Thank you guys so much for the coverage this year. That's Congratulations. How we, that's how he ended it last night, was discussing the scout team, pointing at Stetson Bennett, saying the dominance came from the preparation because, and he's saying this without saying this, we were challenged more in practice than we were in the national championship game. That's crazy. Stetson Bennett also, I think 2017, going that far back, maybe after, he was a scout team quarterback as yeah. Baker Mayfield yes. when they prepared for yes. Oklahoma in his first year. I think that was his first year. Then he went away for a year <laughs> and then came back. Yeah, 2017, that's the year they lost to Alabama in the national championship, beat Oklahoma yeah. in the Rose Bowl. Yep. He was Baker Mayfield getting them ready. 2018, he went to junior college, came back 19, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, that's, that was him then, but full circle. Then you're standing up there, on the, you're sitting on the podium with, with – Stetson Bennett, who's had this amazing career, and th those guys he's talking about, I'd like to go do a Google search on the names. Yeah. I bet they're five, four and five-star guys on the scout team. Who do you say? C.J. Allen, number six? These are guys who are going to be stars at Georgia. These are highly, highly rated recruits. These are not <laughs> walk-ons. If I had to guess, he's saying those guys' names because they are freshmen that worked on the scout team that he knows if they stick with it are going to be future Georgia stars. So here, earlier, this is prior to the game offseason. This is, appears to be like a seminar of some sort, but he's taking questions uh, from Bulldogs fans and uh, media members probably there as well covering this because it's on Twitter. Here is Kirby Smart discussing the, the mentality, the mantra, the, meth the method for which they go about their business and why they're starting to win at such a high level. To be successful, to be great, the thing people have in common, they realize they really don't have a choice. There's one way, the right way, the hard way. There's no shortcuts. So when we get freshmen in, so many of them are not trained in the fact that you really don't have a choice. At 7.30 when the alarm clock goes off and you've got the 8 o'clock class, everybody tells you you have a choice. You don't have a choice. Because if you want to be a really good player, you're going to get up and go to class. If you want to be different in your working environment, you've got to do something that somebody else is not willing to do. That's what successful people are. Successful people are the people that are willing to do something that somebody else is not. That's what makes you different. And that's what we drive home all the time because once they get and acknowledge that, they're a lot, it's a lot easier to be successful when they get to that point. It's not just about talent. It's about getting the right talent that is motivated to be great. Guys that come in and they're motivated not just to get to the league, but to be great. And not every Georgia player pans out. Um, certainly not. But... You know, comfortable is what he's talking about. Comfortable does not help you win. Just ask Dan Mullen, who got comfortable at Florida. Ask Ed Orgeron, who got extremely comfortable in recruiting at LSU. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, so post-game, he's talking about, a, a, he's asked about the three-peat, and he's like, look, I, we, he's referencing this, saying, we can't get comfortable. We have to reinvent some things offensively to make sure we are adapting to the times. And that's why it, it sounds very elementary, what he's saying. There are only, how, how many programs, Jeff? Four or five 
that could legitimately do and execute what he's talking about with A&M. A&M had the greatest recruiting class ever. Can't do it. They, he can't. They're not Jimbo there. Fisher can't get his guys to do that. I mean, currently it's Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. Clemson's fallen off a little bit, yeah. but probably could institute the same thing. Here's what I keep coming back to with Kirby Smart, and that looked to be some sort of presentation in front of the School of Business at University of Georgia that was sponsored by someone that he was speaking to. Everything he's saying and everything he's doing and talking about sounds an awful lot like Nick Saban. The grand experiment finally worked. Of all of the Nick Saban protege hires across college football, none of them could beat the master at his own game. I'm not saying Kirby Smart is Nick Saban right now with two national championships, given Saban's longevity, given that he's done it at multiple places. Don't mistake it for that. But right now, he's better than Nick Saban. What he's built at Georgia, repeat after me, is better than Alabama right now. Not by a long shot. Alabama's still very, very good and nationally relevant. But it finally worked. It took a combination of a defensive mind that was trained under Nick Saban, that played in the SEC at Georgia, going back where? To his alma mater, to Georgia, finding a program that you can get the talent you need in a 100-mile radius around your campus for the most part. Once that happened, it clicked, and finally the formula worked, and now you've got Kirby Smart, who's got Georgia every bit as good, if not better, than Alabama, and that's something we had not seen. Jimbo Fisher is not Nick Saban. He's never going to be Nick Saban. I'm, I'm comfortable in saying that at this point. Look at all the other failed assistants of Nick Saban that could not beat the master. Kirby Smart's doing it. He's and, doing it, and David Pollack <laughs> saying it last night, to Nick Saban, he's right. Georgia has taken over all of college football right now. Well, and it's why Auburn went with their their coaching hire, you know, because the the head to head matchup with Saban. I mean that that's what that came down to ultimately. Um, and look, here's the other part of what Kirby Smart's done. He recruited four and five stars at quarterback, and then recruited over Stetson Bennett again. After the guy said, "I'm gonna go." go away and earn a scholarship and come back. They still recruited over him. They didn't want to play him. And then ultimately, he at least played him. He didn't placate to the four or five star in order to just make sure they were happy. Those dudes went, you know, to what, two, three, some four colleges by now. Yeah. And meanwhile, they're back-to-back national champions with Stetson Bennett. Kirby Smart discussed his two-time national championship winning quarterback last night. He did a change of protection, he made an elite throw. Uh, he schemed up a run, ran a midline run, which nobody runs. He ran for a touchdown. He's got a tackle that's like a tight end out there in Broderick. And when you got a quarterback that can do the protections and check things and know what the defense is doing, but yet still beat you with your feet, you got a high-level quarterback. And people have slept on Stetson Bennett for too long. He needs an opportunity to play for a long time at the next level. And he's gone from a guy who had no shot at being drafted to I don't know how you don't take a flyer on him as a backup quarterback situation next year in the NFL. Hun, we were talking to the break about comps. Davey Hudson posed the question, who's, the, who's his comp in the NFL? I think I finally came in, and I'm, I'm open to suggestions about something that could be better. 
But the one that popped in mind that finally stuck was Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think Stetson Bennett has a chance to be a longtime pro and a starter. Fitzpatrick was a backup for a lot of his career. He was a starter for a lot of his career, too. I, I think that's the skill set of Stetson Bennett. Fitzpatrick, Bennett's a better runner. But Fitzpatrick was a sneaky good runner mm-hmm. also in Scrambler in the league. Um, I, I think Bennett's better as a runner would be the one difference, but maybe maybe he can be that in the NFL. I don't know how with the other quarterbacks that Smart has recruited to Georgia that Bet, uh, Bennett is being argued that he's not one, given the results on the field. And it, Justin Fields is, of course, an NFL talent. But Jacob Eason and Jake Fromm uh, – and what they've done, and you're t- there are those out there that are saying Stetson Bennett's going to be in banking instead of the NFL a year from now. Come on, the guy wants to play. Um, he's going to get his shot. And if you're a, if you're an organization with some really bad, uh, let's uh, there are like 17 to 18 legitimate starters in the league, right? And then the rest of the starters are made up of backup quarterbacks. And then those backups to those guys aren't good enough to beat out the backups who are starting. And then there's a practice squad quarterback who no one's ever heard of. And every two or three years, there's a story like Brock Purdy. And this is one of the greatest college football stories we've seen with Bennett going back to back and his story behind the scenes. There will be a team that's picking him. I don't know if it's day end of, uh, you know, day two. I'm not going that high. But Chad, he's going to be on a roster and chances are he's going to play a valuable role in some way for that locker room. I'll give you another quick comp for Stetson Bennett, Baker Mayfield. Both have, um, both have a similar backstory of being overlooked in their career, yeah, starting as walk a walk-on or being a walk-on at some different point. The difference is Stetson Bennett has no chance of being the number one pick in the draft like Baker Mayfield, but I see some similarities in the way they play, both those guys. I think, I think Bennett, though, is less um, – he's less of a daredevil than Baker Mayfield, oh, which actually sure. helps him, right? Well, he doesn't he's, put his body in the way. Yeah, and, he's okay, though, at times. If it's just not there, he's going to throw it away or he's going to take the sack yeah. a little bit more than Baker Mayfield would. I'm not just talking about from a health standpoint. I'm saying from not throwing the big interception yeah. or doing something really dumb. He doesn't have – that level of edge to him that Baker Mayfield had, I'm which going, is a good thing for I'm Bennett. going through the list of, of quarterbacks that come to mind. Case Keenum comes to mind for me with him. That's a good one. And it's the size, right? It's the, the uh, Keenum was putting up tons of numbers at Houston um, in the mid to what? It was like 2007 or something um, to about 2010, 2011. Um, yeah, but I, I he's he's listed at five ten whatever. I'm talking about Bennett. Alex Smith even's like six one. You know he's not a really big guy. Wasn't in his playing days. Yeah, I can see I, a little bit of that with him. You know, I, I, it, the other the other factor, and I do think this plays a factor in where you draft a player is age, and he's going to be twenty six for his rookie. Uh, there uh, there are all the AFC quarterbacks right now. The starters I saw Stetson Bennett is older than nineteen starting quarterbacks in the NFL. Just, that's why you. He's also not being mentioned with Baker Mayfield and other top quarterbacks that have a similar storyline that end up in the first round. You don't take a first-round pick at 26 at quarterback because he's already in age-wise. He's in contract, too. Well, and, and again, if the NFL doesn't work out, 
Stetson Bennett Ford has a lot of has a nice ring to it. <laughs> I mean, the dude's going to own a chain of car dealerships all over the state of Georgia. Probably already does. Or he's going to be a 15-year NFL backup. Yeah. Or he's going to do both. And he's going to do all of those things. I mean, he's got a bright future ahead of him in the state of Georgia, no doubt about it. He's a legend. There's going to be a statue of him somewhere in that state at some point soon. Yep. Would you rather have two competitive semis or one competitive national championship? We answer that question next on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Outkick 360. Hope everyone's having a uh, great Tuesday. Big thanks to Dan Dockich and John McClain for joining the show. If you miss portions of us, of the show, you can always download the show wherever you get your audio, and that includes outkick.com. Click on shows. You'll see all of the uh, great programming podcasts that will drop down, and uh, you can find Outkick 360 each and every day, as well as just searching out on YouTube and subscribing that way, Chad, would you rather have two very competitive playoff games in the semis or one great national championship matchup? Because we either get one or the other, it seems, every single year. So ratings-wise, by the way, last night it got up to $22 million at one point, but it is the least watched national championship game in the college football playoff championship era going back to 2014. Uh, got up to 22 million. Final quarter hour, 10 million. So more than a 50%, 100% drop at that point to the end of the game with that score. Hutton, to answer your question, two is greater than one. And I, I would not do anything to trade out that New Year's Eve day. Just a full afternoon and night of football that was terrific. Yeah. So I'd rather have the two semifinals be something great. And both those games were objectively great as opposed to having one championship game be great. In the past, we've had the championship game be compelling, and then the, the semifinals have been bad. I, I'll take this, honestly. If you just told me that I'd love all three of them to be awesome, but if I had to choose one or the other, I'll take the two semis on New Year's Eve to be better. You know what my de de determining factor is? One of those games for, for us was over the holiday or on the weekend, right? Yeah, the Saturday. Mm -hmm. And in this case, I just don't get into a Monday night championship game. If, this, if the championship game is on a Saturday, my answer would be different. I would want to build up all the way a good answer. to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl Sunday is on a Sunday. College football on Saturday for a national title. To me, the hype, the build up, I would be all in on that. It, it is a very... And, and I realize this is also an odd year to say that there wasn't much hype because... You had the DeMar Hamlin news going on the same week that was dominating everything. But, you know, you just kind of had to remember on a Monday morning, oh, by the way, uh, NFL, let's see, the playoffs are set, and, yeah, the coaching changes are being – and, oh, there's a national title game tonight. 
Yeah, and I think that you know the NFL is, does cooperate with college football on different things and timing of events. I think they would move those two Saturday games. If the timing worked out yeah. the same way, if you're looking at week 18 of the NFL season, I think they'd move those two Saturday. If you're worried about con- conflicting with the NFL, NFL moves those two Saturday games to Sunday. Every game's played on Sunday, the final week. And then you've got a Saturday night all to yourself, college football national championship. I see nothing wrong with that. Well, even if they don't move it, it's not like ABC or ESPN has the Saturday games in the NFL. Right? No, they did this year. No, but not, I'm saying not every year. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. I, I just think it would be cleaner if the NFL, you know, as a trade-off for having this free feeder system, yeah. minor league system to their league that college football provides for them, that they would just move those two games to Sunday, do whatever you want to with them from a national perspective. But then Saturday is for college football national championship game. Saturday night is the game. That's the way to go. I want, so, And now you've got the college football playoff expansion coming up in a year where we'll have a, a better view of the first round on campuses and you've got all the, the matchups for round two. And then hey, quickly, they're going to make these ratings up. Alex also brings up, I don't know why I didn't just say this, another good idea. Just have the games at noon and three central time on Saturday leading in to, to the, the college football championship. Yeah. Just bump them up and don't have a primetime game. How great of a day that'd be if you had two good NFL games leading into the college football national championship at night. Kind of like the Rose Bowl with Bills Bengals, which was Monday night. Yeah. Makes sense. Same network. Love it. I'm all in. So now let's just get ESPN on board. Back at it tomorrow. Hope you'll join us for the Wednesday edition. Clay Travis will join us. Hope you will too. We start at 3 o'clock Eastern right here for Outkick 360.